0: I'm, I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning to read <clears throat> at verse 7, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, so it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming gloriousness of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold we are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can, on, can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the lord and the lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image amen
1: thank you and thank you to fritz for leading us so wonderfully as well and sarah for praying and you for being a part of that as well But we come now to God's word and we want to take this seriously, don't we? So let's pray and pause. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the spirit of God that is in this place. That is always with us. Open our ears, Lord, to hear your word. Open our eyes to see you. And as we gaze on you, Lord, help us to be transformed into your image. To the glory of God, we pray. Amen. So keep that open if you'd like before us. We're still in this series a different glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 7 to 18. And I deliberately asked for the New Living Translation because I think it helps to get to the centre of what this is about. We live in a, a, a time, don't we, which is divided into two time zones by some initials that we talk about. It used to be B.C. and A.D., before Christ, and Anno Domini in the year of our Lord now sometimes people talk about BCE and CE which still means before the Christian era and the Christian era and whatever acronyms you choose this is incredible isn't it that our calendar is divided for that time that was before Jesus and that time which was after Jesus because when Jesus came everything changed And I want to say that to you about history as we're looking about that. But isn't that true of your life? There is BC and there is AD. There is before Jesus and there are the years of our Lord. Isn't that a wonderful way to think about the way we're living? That we are so tied up with Jesus that we live in the years of our Lord at the moment. And we can look back on before Christ and be grateful for where we are Right now, churches, Paul says, are supposed to live in the era of Christ. They are not to be institutions that look backwards. Now you think, yeah, of course I might. But I want you to think very seriously about this. Churches are not supposed to be nostalgic. Looking back to the times when things were great, if only it was like that. Of course, in a few years' time, it's understandable that you look back and think, Steve Moody, if only he was here still at this time, it would be wonderful. But I want to say that actually that is a really stupid way to think about the church. We look forward to what God has for us, and he is always on the move in the adventure that we have with him. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth to say, You are an AD church, not a BC church. You need to make Jesus the heartbeat of everything you do. And that's why Jesus himself in Mark said, "No one puts new wine into old wine skins, for the wine would burst the wine skins and the wine and the skins would be lost. New wine calls for new wine skins." In other words, think forwards, don't think back. Don't try to squeeze what you want to happen into the shape of the way things were and hope that that will work out. It won't. Jesus is calling us forward. Here's a picture of a man that I've been thinking about this week. His name is Hiru Anada. He's a Japanese soldier. He surrendered from the Second World War fighting in 1974. He spent 30 years believing in a Philippine rainforest that the war was still going on and tragically still killed people in that time. He continued to fight a war which had already been won and lost. And he lived his life fighting a battle that had already ended. Isn't that tragic? So Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says exactly the same thing. You do not need to continue fighting a war against sin and death. Because the battle, you cannot win that war. You cannot win that war. And if you continue fighting, fighting that battle in your own strength, you will damage yourself and other people. But good news. The war has already been won. Come out of the rainforest. Be free. Live in the victory of Jesus. And live differently because Jesus has already won the the victory. Learn to live reflecting the glory of the victory that has already won. And this is the life that we are called to. So my friends, don't live BC. Don't live BC. Don't fight a losing battle to win a victory that is already won for you. Live differently and live to the glory of God. There's an important reminder that this passage we've just said, remember, is in a letter. And the letter's being written for a reason because Paul has lost some credibility with the church. And he's trying to rebuild his, uh, his reputation there. And he does this by talking about uh, theology around this and about the victory that Jesus has won. But I wanted to start today by looking at verse in the middle. Verse 12 that says, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Paul is accused of being very direct to this church. Come on, you're being very direct, very straightforward with us. We want more of the style of other preachers that are around here. But Paul says, I'm very bold about what I have to say to you. And my message is very simple. It's about Jesus and the fact he died for you. And the fact he's risen for life. And the fact that if you want this adventure of the kingdom of God, you better get on board with Jesus. Don't look elsewhere. This is why I'm confident with you. Not because I'm confident in myself. I realize I was always losing that battle. But because I've found confidence in Jesus. And I can stand on him. I speak boldly because I'm confident about Christ and about the gospel. Because I've been set free from the old way of the law... Because the old way has been fulfilled in Jesus. who said yes to all God's promises. You don't need to keep fighting that war. Because I'm already filled with the new spirit of God's creation. Which is in me and working out of me. He writes, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. How do you learn to be confident in your life? Well you learn because you are confident not in yourself but in Jesus. If we're going to do everything that Alex said in that video about having a culture of invitation and getting out, we will need to be confident, but we do not need to be confident in ourselves. Who's shy here? Anybody? You're too shy to put your hands up. That's the trouble. I'm really shy. I am, honestly. Tell Nick. When we were going out, I ran away from a party once. It's true. We arrived and it was all just a bit much, and I ran outside and Nick came out and said, What are you doing? I said, Oh, it's a bit too much. And she rolled her eyes at me and miraculously decided she still wanted to be with me. (laughs) I'm very shy, but I am confident. Are you? Because of Jesus, I'm confident. Paul, we remember, was a committed Jew. Remember this, he's saying this, a Pharisee. And along the road to Damascus, everything changed. Why? Because he saw Jesus. He remains committed, though, to a salvation that isn't simply about Jesus, but is founded in the Old Testament. He doesn't discard the Old Testament. He says, everything that I was working for, I realize, has already been fulfilled in Jesus. All the Bible works together together. The faith and freedom that he's found comes utterly in Jesus. He's the one who made the perfect sacrifice for sin. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Jesus made the perfect sacrifice for sin, so we've been confident in him. He's the one who lived the perfect human life. Do you believe that? So we know what it is to be a human being by looking at Jesus. He's the one who sets us free by the resurrection because it says that we have been raised with him so that we can be free and live for him. Do we believe that? Do we do that all the time? We need more confidence. Paul writes in verses 10 to 11, in fact, that first glory wasn't glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way has been replaced with, which has been replaced with glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which remains? This is a bit like reading a book. I like reading. I don't know if anybody else does here. But it would be really very silly to read a novel and get to the end, if it's a 30 chapter novel and get to the end of chapter 20 and say, well I'm going to end it there. I'm going to end it there. That's, that's the ending. That's the conclusion. I'm not going to bother with the last ten chapters. But equally, if you read to the end of the novel, you can't omit the first 30, 20 chapters that came beforehand. They make sense because of what's gone before. And Paul says that Christian life is like that. If you don't adopt Jesus radically and you make him your meaning, what you end up doing is finishing the book in the middle. You don't know the end of the story. And the end of the story is glorious. It's so much glorious than the middle of the story. Imagine The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe ended with Aslan very boldly laying down his life on a table, and it was very sad, and Lucy went off and cried and said, Aslan, and Aslan was just silent. That's not the end of the story, is it? Don't end the story in the middle, folks. Don't think that you're still struggling against sin when the truth is the matter is you have been raised with Christ. You can leave that behind and trust in him. You can have his spirit, which is a new creation. You can move forward. That's what Paul is saying here. So the suggestion in Paul's writing is that there's a need to address something going on in Corinth where people are saying that the fulfillment of the Old Testament law is in Jesus, but you still need to do all the stuff that the law used to do. Yeah, Jesus was great and he did this, but he hasn't really fulfilled anything, he's just added to it. So stick in there, keep trying, keep doing the old sacrifice system, keep obeying the law, keep being circumcised physically because that's what matters. But that's not what matters. Paul is clear about this not being a minor thing if you just hold on to the past. Now you may think, well what's this got to do with me, all this Old Testament stuff? Is it possible that you might come to Jesus and still hold on to some of the things that you believe beforehand? Is it possible that there was some good stuff there that I'm not quite prepared to let go of? I'm going to have Jesus in my life, but I'm going to still hold some of these other things as well. And Paul says very casually, "This is, this is a matter of life and death. If you really want freedom, not mock freedom, you really have to be devoted to Jesus. It's all or nothing. So what do you want? What do you want? There's something wonderful about Moses' encounter with God, but the trouble is the law doesn't save people from sin and death. The law is good, but the people who try to obey it, unfortunately, are not, you and me. The law's great, but we are not. And God's standard of holiness, when it's measured with people who were not good to live that way, only points out the fact that we fall short of it the whole time. Homer Simpson knows all about it, doesn't he? Because he goes around the whole time going, Don't! That's our life. We know what's good, but we fall short of it the whole time. Law to lawbreakers is merely a condemnation, isn't it? So that glorious thing that God gave doesn't do it. The old way, Paul puts it starkly, which is sketched in stone, led to death. You will not succeed that way. There is just more and more shortfalling. And the glory fades when people turned away, not from the law, but from God himself who would allow them to live the law. Its promises fade, faded on the failure of human obedience, on people to choose not to walk with God, but away from God. Because the problem isn't the law itself, the problem's the human heart. And for this reason, Paul writes, the old way, the way that holds Jesus captive to the ritual of what has been will not succeed and will always lead to death. So put differently, folks, if you really want freedom, then go all in with Jesus. Don't give a bit of your life to Jesus. Don't think, I'll have him as a sort of flagship, but I'm going to keep battling my battle like the man in the jungle. So the issue with the goodness of the law and the shortfall of human hearts has been all over the Old Testament already. Deuteronomy, Do you ever when's the last time you read Deuteronomy? Go and read the ending of Deuteronomy this week. It's incredible. Moses gets the law. He comes down, he says, the law, and then there's a party going on. Hooray! As my daughter would say. And Moses says, what are you doing? This is the law, law, what are you doing? So he goes back up the mountain, he gets the law again, and he comes back down and says, good news, I've got the law again. But then he says, actually, I'm going to set this law up not as something which is going to set you free, but as a witness against you. This is going to be the measure which shows you why you fall so short. It says, Take this book of instruction and place it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, so it remain there as a witness against the people of Israel. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Even now, while I am still alive and am here with you, you have rebelled against the Lord. How much more rebellious will you be after my death? What a moment. What a moment. I'm about to die. Here is the law that God's given you. I'm giving it to you. But you're not going to obey it, are you? It's all going to go wrong. Because that's what you're like. So I'm going to set it up here. Because this is the way God wants us to live. But it won't set you free. It'll just make you realize that you fall short of the glory of God. And Paul himself knows about this because in Romans 7 he says, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Wouldn't it an amazing thing if Fritz sings songs to us and we all enjoy them, we're all doing the old, you know, and uh, occasional and occasional. But all the songs do is remind you about what you are not. We sing to remind us about what we fall short of the whole time because the only answer is not in a song or in a law or a guideline the only answer is in God himself who comes in Jesus and sets you free I want you to hear that today whatever your circumstance that is the answer okay I'm trying to go a bit fast because I've run out we've got not much time but tell me if I'm going a bit too fast like 1.5 speed so let's go on in the passage. It says the greater glory of it, God is expressed in two ways that you're going to find about it. The first is the cross and the second is the resurrection. And this is really important because one deals with the past and one opens up the future. Do not have a Christianity that simply talks about the cross but does not talk about the resurrection. I think I had one for 15 years. I was miserable most of the time. I just felt awful. But don't forget the cross. Don't just think, oh, this is cool, brilliant. And realize that you're not a sinner and you need to be set free. Paul talks about verse 9. If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God, makes us righteousness, declares us innocent. How does that happen? Through the cross. This more glorious way means that you are not continuing to bang your head against the brick wall of the law, but you are set free. My chains have gone. You know that song we sing? My heart set free, I rose, went forth and followed. (laughs) Jesus gives us life because we're included in him when when he dies. Isn't that weird? Everything that falls short goes with him. If we step ourselves in him and we are declared innocent before God. We're not Jesus, but because we're in Jesus, we're declared innocent with him. He wraps you round with his arms and says, I have this person. He is safe with me. And when I stand before the father, I will take the wrap because I love you. Romans 8 says the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature so God did what the law could not do he sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have and in that body declared an end to sins control by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins, so number one we're set free because of the cross we are set and declared innocent but there's more than that everybody, good news there's more than that, Jesus isn't dead Hallelujah! That's the core thing that I came to believe when I was 18. Jesus is alive! He's alive. He was dead and now he's alive forever. Revelation. Fear not. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever. Come with me into this new life, is what Jesus says. Leave that behind. Come with me into the near future. Because not only are we supposed to be set free from the past, but we are set free to live a new life, to be like him. To be disciples. Resurrected into a new eternal life. It says in Ephesians that we are raised with Christ. Not we will be, but we are raised with Christ. You are already alive. Can you breathe it? Life to be lived for Jesus with Jesus, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, because the Spirit is the agent of the resurrection, who connects us with the living Jesus and says, go and live differently so we need to be filled with God's Spirit afresh, who'd like to be filled with God's Spirit afresh maybe, yeah man, yes of course you would, because that's the life that we're called towards, that's the future breathing into the present, boom possibility I love that word, don't you? Possibility. That's what the resurrection says. (laughs) Possibility. A holy, glorious new life, only in Christ. A life which is impossible to live in the old way. Did you notice the word glory in the passage that we read? It's all over the place, isn't it? Oh, I get a new word you said as you read that passage. Glory, glory, glory. Don't tell me it's more glory. Glory all over the place. But what does glory mean? It's a funny old word, isn't it? Here's what I had a thought this week, and I think it might be true. Glory is the essential character of something. It's its style. Now, in the Old Testament, God was glorious, but that style was not set free because you didn't disclose his full character. And what happens in Jesus is the full character of God is disclosed that was there all along in the whole book. You just didn't see it there. There it is, writ large, in a person. Jesus, glorious, glorious, glorious. In the law, that glory is glimpsed, but it fades away. It fades because we don't look at God, because we can't, because we feel short of that glory. But in Jesus, we stare at Jesus and gaze on Jesus. There's no condemnation. We look at him and look at him and look at him and love him, and he loves us, and we are transformed into his glory. That is the way of the Christian life. It's only found through Jesus. And that's what Paul writes. For what was glorious has no no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much more glorious is the glory of that which lasts? Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. who reveals the glory of God. No one has seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side. John chapter 1. So Paul's writing is to defend his ministry, remember. I'm confident, yes I'm confident, but because of Jesus. Because I've seen him on the Damascus Road. I don't think Christian faith is unreasonable, by the way. I don't think there's no evidence to be a Christian, and you just have to make a leap of faith. But I do think that the evidence that's in your head for it to become real and become the life you want has to make a leap from your head to your heart because you have to see Jesus. Well, I don't mean you see him physically like Joe down there, and there she is. That's changed my life. I mean that you see Jesus here. But how do you do that? Well, you have to look for him. You have to keep looking for him, and he will find you. When was the last time you looked and gazed and stared and kept looking and searched and looked and looked? The old way looks away or is veiled, it says. Because the law is a transitory way of dealing with good. It's a sticking plaster. But Paul says, the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, that same veil covers that mind. You cannot follow the way of the law if you don't see Jesus. You cannot. And this is a personal edge for Paul because he was a Jew as well and he knew what it was like, that old way. So if you look in Romans... Chapter 10, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved, because they're my people. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with Himself. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given, and as a result, all who believe in Him are made right with God. What do you think? Isn't that exciting? So the new way is entered by seeing Jesus. But I want to say it's a bit more than that. There's a conclusion here. The point of seeing Jesus is not just that you, set free, you are set free, but you become like him. By gazing at Jesus, not only are you set free, but you are transformed and you take on his qualities as we go on. We reflect the glory that we see. And the call of God is to see God's glory in Christ and then to begin to reflect it. And that way is, not, is for a longer lasting glory that's not through a flawed human heart like yours and mine but this simple thing, amazing grace that God gives this life to you. It says at the end, all and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, look at Jesus, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So very lastly this. This is what I want you to remember. Paul is writing to this church and saying, Lush, I, I want you to know that I am for you, but I'm going to be bold here because I'm bold because I believe in Jesus. He laments those who only have a fading sense of God's glory because they half commit to Jesus but hold on to the old world and it fades away as they look in different places. He laments those who continue to fight a war which has already been won and which they themselves can never win. There is no freedom, no peace, no joy that way, no life. Instead, he would say, let's put this joy at the centre of our hearts from beginning to end by looking to Jesus and being transformed into his image and continuing to contemplate him, so that we can reflect his glory. Because that glory is the essential character of God. And if that starts to break out, then it won't be good news just for you as an individual. Because by the way, I don't think the gospel is an I'm all right, Jack message. I've seen Jesus, I'm fine. Who cares about everybody else? Well we do even more than we ever have done before, do we not? Because Jesus is here. It is a we message that as we are transformed, then the world is transformed around for us. Don't look away from God. When times are tough, don't look away from God. Look at Jesus. Stare at Jesus. Find out about Jesus. And find the answers that you need in him. To God be the glory. Great things he hath taught us great things he has done and great our rejoicing through Jesus the son that purer and higher and greater will be our wonder our
0: transport when Jesus we see Amen